Psalm 57. All right, so continuing our Bible study in the Psalms, our summary statement for Psalm 57. Psalm 57 seeks refuge in the covenant mercy and faithfulness of God from calamities. I'm sorry, for deliverance from calamities. I'll go over that again. Psalm 57 seeks refuge in the covenant mercy and faithfulness of God for deliverance from calamities. Break this psalm into two parts for a simple outline. Verses 1 to 6, in danger. Verses 7 to 11, awaking to praise. Go over that again. Verses 1 to 6, in danger. Verses 7 to 11, awaking to praise. All right, so we'll go to our observations for Psalm 57. The psalm was written by David, as you can see in the superscription, to the chief musician, Al-Tashith, Mictam of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. It is directed there um, to the chief musician, as you can see, the choir master. Um, this is the first occurrence of the term Al-Tashith, um, though it is in the heading of the next two psalms as well, Psalm 58 and 59. It occurs one more time, which is later in Psalm 75, which will be in the next book of Psalms. The word itself means do not destroy, do no violence, something like that. Um, it's likely a reference to a particular melody to use in singing the psalm. We're having some stereo here for our Bible study tonight. We're supposed to wait till the new sound system is installed for stereo. All right. So back in the heading, uh, the Miktam, we've seen that um, in a couple of psalms. Uh, the previous psalm especially, and it's also in the next two psalms. The uh, engraving is what the word means. There are two selahs in the psalm, one in verse 3, one in verse 6, and that is all of the musical direction. Um, the occasion is also given in the heading, um, when he fled from Saul in the cave. So when David fled from Saul in the cave, so this would either be when David came to the cave of Adullam um, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, or it could be later in the cave in the wilderness in Engedi um, in 1 Samuel chapter 24 when David could have killed Saul, but he didn't. He spared his life. Uh, and perhaps it could also be just simply uh, a reference to both of those times as the general time frame. Some think that it's more likely the cave in Engedi because of the mention of the tune, Do Not Destroy, 
um, selected for this psalm. And I suppose that that is certainly possible. Um, psalm 57 is an individual lament. It um, doesn't fit neatly in that category, but it mostly does. And it has strong praise elements to it. And so some, some want to put it in a category as a thanksgiving or praise psalm, but I think there's still enough of the general shape and conventions of a lament to um, still keep it categorized that way. You do have a direct address call to God in verses 1 and 2, an expression of confidence in God in verse number 3. You have a crisis complaint in verses 4 to 6, and of course there in the middle um, you have a refrain of praise in verse 5, but uh, you also have in verses 7 to 11 a commitment to praise, and of course verse 11 is that um, ending um, a repeat of that refrain. Psalm 57 connects to the preceding psalms, the David psalms, beginning with Psalm 52, so Psalm, Psalms 52 to 56 prior to this. It also connects with the two following psalms, since the superscriptions are um, used those similar terms that are very rare in the psalms. Um, being connected in this David group of psalms, obviously it's continuing the theme of enemy persecution as the crisis um, the the evil use of words, in fact, as a persecution, which we see that here in verse 4, as well as in Psalm 54 and verse 5 and Psalm 55, verses 3, 9, and 12, and also in uh, Psalm 56 and verse number 2. So this also continues the theme of exile and the danger of death, um, as death has, has shown up as a motif in these psalms. The heading obviously connects... Uh, mostly there to Psalm 58 and Psalm 59. Uh, the poetic features of Psalm 57, uh, one of those would be uh, imagery. And the, in, in the whole of the psalm, there is a motif of height going on, um, references to, to high, highness, um, the heavens, references to the earth and, and the pit and, and down. Uh, so you see like verses 3, 5, 10, and 11 all have references to height. God is even called most high in verse number 2. Um, and in, in the refrain in verses 5 and 11, uh, it speaks of Him being above and being over. Uh, other imagery would include enemies as wild beasts in verse 4. And we've seen that pop up in several psalms. Uh, there's a switch in imagery by verse 6 in the crisis where um, rather than wild beasts, it's, it's men that are hunters that are laying snares and traps um, for David. In verse 4, we have imagery of teeth as spears and tongues as swords, obviously referring to uh, malicious speech. Um, verse 8 is also interesting because there we have imagery of awaking the dawn by playing instruments and singing. Um, poetically, the, the psalm also uses some repetition. Um, you have a couple of places of repetition. One of those in the first verse, be merciful unto, unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. Um, the, the repetition of mercy and truth in verse 3 and in verse 12, as well as repetition of the word glory um, that shows in, a, in other verses as well. All right, so let's um, work our way through this psalm, 11 verses. So go ahead and read this. 
Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge, until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. So verses 1 and 2 that open this psalm opens with calling on God. Verse 1 obviously opens very similarly to Psalm 56, um, asking for, uh, for God to be merciful, and there's a repetition of the line. And the word, uh, as we have noted before, it's, it's, it's a bending down, it's a stooping, um, a gracious show of favor, obviously joined with many of the covenantal uh, terms and associations we have in this psalm implies a certain relationship, that there's a, an expectation that this um, mercy will be received. Um, the word for trust means hiding in. It's, it's oftentimes used with covenantal associations like uh, beginning in Psalm 2 and verse 12, which is where it first occurs, that there, uh, the, the rebellious nations there are instructed to put their trust in the Lord. Um, but it occurs later, Psalm 5, verse 11, uh, Psalm 36, verse 7, Psalm 37, verse 40. Uh, it is quite prevalent throughout the Psalms. We have imagery here in verse 1 of chicks being sheltered under the mother bird's wings. Um, we've seen this in Psalm 17 and verse 8, and Psalm 36 and verse 7. Um, the, the word for refuge is actually the same word that was translated trust earlier in the verse. So the, the imagery is of the chicks that are um, sheltered under the wings until the storm is passed. The storm being the destructive event such as the persecution by his enemies in this psalm. And uh, this sheltering under the wings of God is actually imagery introduced by Moses um, in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 11. The word uh, most high, this, uh, this name, this title for God, Elion, um, it is a word that means to be supreme or uppermost. Um, I mean, it can refer um, spatially to height, something that's just at the highest point that's higher than all else. So obviously this is keeping with this height motif that goes um, from heaven to earth and, and, and up and down in this psalm. God is highest of all. So when, when David prays to God, um, confessing God as, as uppermost, as supreme, as the most high, is, is also in a sense a confession of the solitariness of God. In other words, that there, who else 
could David go to? How, how could David go over God's head? You know, sometimes we have to go over someone's head. You know, we're not getting um, something accomplished. We have to get someone with more authority to be able to do what we need to get done in life. But when David prays to God in this crisis, there's none higher. There's, there's no greater that he can go to. The word for performeth here is, is interesting. It, it's a word that means to come to an end or to, or to cease. So it's a word that can be used negatively in the sense of failing. So something has come to an end or come to an end of strength or come to an end of power. Something has failed. Um, it can also be used in a positive sense of being completion. So something has, has come to an end. Something that's been undertaken has been completed. Obviously, here it is positive as David cries out to God. And ultimately, what it points to here is that God will keep His promises to David. He's going to bring all things to pass that He has promised David. Remember David's position right now um, when he's writing this psalm. Um, He is anointed, but he is not sitting as king. He's actually suffering in exile at this time. So there are promises to him, promises of his... Um, seed being raised up when we read this in light of the Davidic covenant, promises of his seed um, being raised up, this seed that has been promised all the way back um, to Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman, all the way up to Abraham and the seed of Abraham, and then, the, then it's the seed of Jacob, then it's the seed of Judah, and, and now it is the seed of David. So there are promises to David that David is trusting in counting on, knowing that God is going to bring to completion. Verse 3 is the expression of confidence. Heaven is the place of God's universal reign. So we see um, God's universal reign being referred to and is obviously in many of the Psalms is accompanied by, by a distinction between universal reign and the earthly reign. And we also see that in this Psalm. But heaven is the place where of God's universal reign. It's where He sits above all. So like in Psalm 2 and verse number 4, God sits in the heavens and He laughs at the nations on the earth that are rebelling and, and raging against Him. But it's also from heaven that He sends. Um, and this word that is used sometimes can refer to God sending judgment to the earth, um, like in Psalm 55 and verse number 20 where this term is used. But it can also refer to salvation, and that's what we see here, as well as like in Psalm 55 and verse number 16. To be saved from reproach is an echo of the concerns in these Korahite and David Psalms. So we've seen this same sentiment expressed, Psalm 42 verse 10, Psalm 44 verse 16, and Psalm 55 verse 12, uh, being delivered from those who would devour. The reference to mercy in verse 3, it is the Hebrew term chesed, so it referring to his loyal love. It's associated again with his covenant mercy. Um, we've seen references. Uh, these references are um, somewhat concentrated in this part of the psalm. Psalm 42 and verse 8, Psalm 44 and verse 26, Psalm 48 and verse 9, Psalm 51 verse 1, Psalm 52 verses 1 and 8. The word for truth that is used here in the Hebrew, the emet, um, it is a, a word that refers to trustworthiness. Um, it's associated with covenant faithfulness. And so when you see hesed and emet that are used together uh, in places like Psalm 25.10, 
Psalm 26 and verse 3, Psalm 40, verses 10 and 11. Um, these have obviously strong covenantal associations. So God's covenant mercy and God's covenant faithfulness is a good way to understand the use of these terms together. Verse 4 then gives gets to the crisis in this psalm. Um, we have this image uh, imagery of wild, fiery beasts, the lions that are that are named here. Um, the way that it, that it's expressed, it's as though David is surrounded. In other words, it, it's giving us the the feeling or or the mood of an inescapable danger that David is in. Interestingly, his enemies, though, in verse four, are the sons of men, the Beniha Adam, the uh, sons of Adam. And so the sons of Adam, which have been uh, mentioned in Psalms like Psalm 8 and verse number 4, a little more recently in Psalm 53 and verse number 2, as well as as some others. So these are references to, to mankind, fallen mortal men that are opposing God's anointed king. So it gives us some of a juxtaposition with God as most high, which um, would would include his um, power, his supremacy above all. And then we have the sons of Adam that are opposing God and ultimately weak. Teeth and tongue that are, that are used here are metaphors for words and words that are um, like teeth and, and tongues of wild beasts to tear in pieces. So the metaphor is, is extended to liken them to spears and to swords that could tear apart. So this obviously um, echoes the uh, betrayal that we have seen in these David Psalms. So Psalm 54, 5, Psalm 55, 3, uh, 9 and 12, and Psalm 56 and verse number 2. So we've, we've noticed this betrayal that has gone throughout these Psalms and part of the suffering, the exile suffering um, that David is undergoing as a righteous sufferer. Verse 5 then gives us the first time that we get this refrain, which is repeated exactly in verse number 11. So the refrain um, uses this term for exalted, and it is a word that means to be lifted up, and it is very frequently in the Psalms associated with God reigning in heaven or His mediatorial king on earth. So it is associated with, with reigning either of God in heaven or of His mediatorial king on earth. So we've encountered this term, Psalm 3 and verse 3, uh, Psalm 9 and verse 13, Psalm 18, verses 46 and 48, uh, more recently in Psalm 46:10, some other verse, some other places as well. The heavens, of course, refers to the place of God's universal reign. So we have God exalted in the heavens, the place of God's reign over the universe. And then we see this reference to glory in the second part of the refrain: let thy glory be above all the earth. And this is the Hebrew term kavod. And we haven't seen it in a while, but we have seen it quite often in the Psalms. And the word itself means weight or, or presence. And it is oftentimes associated with kingship. So Psalm 3 and verse 3, Psalm 4 and verse 2, Psalm 7 and verse 5, Psalm 8 and verse 5, Psalm 16 and verse 9, Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10. And if you've been... Um, you know, making good notes, you're recognizing these psalms as being strongly messianic royal psalms that are predicting um, the coming Messiah and his reign. So, so God's glory is kavod, which is associated with 
His reign. And so this prayer in verse 5, let thy glory be above all the earth. This is a prayer for God's glory to cover the earth. In other words, it's a prayer for the meditorial reign over the earth, which will be realized in David's son. Verse number 6 then gets us back to the crisis and switches up the imagery from wild beasts to that of men that are hunting David down. Um, hunters are laying down nets, they're digging pits, they're making snares to try to catch their prey, and they're doing all this in an effort to take David's life. He is the one being hunted. The hunting activities, though, you notice in verse 6, end in a wisdom reversal of poetic justice. They are taken in their own pits. They've digged pits for David, but they are the ones that have fallen into them and are taken. And we've seen um, this sort of reversal in Psalm 9, verse 15, Psalm 10, and verse 9, uh, Psalm 35, verses 7 and 8. In verses 7 to 9, we get David's vow to praise God. Um, verse 7 repeats, this is another repetition, the fixedness of his heart. My heart is fixed. My heart is fixed um, in the face of his enemies. And that word there means to be stood upright, to be unmoving. Um, sometimes it's uh, tr been translated as uh, steadfast, um, which is certainly nothing wrong with that translation, as, as long as we don't confuse that with hesed, which is God's covenant mercy, and that is not the term that is used here. So he vows to sing to God and to play upon an instrument. Um, and the word actually, so I will sing and give praise. The word for praise there actually means to strike with the fingers. And so it's referring to the playing of an instrument, um, most likely to that of a stringed instrument. So essentially, David is saying that he is going to sing and play upon an instrument, and he, and obviously that being praise directed to God. In verse 8, we have this waking up. That is another repetition in this psalm. And waking is often associated with God's moving into action. So we've seen uh, the term being used in Psalm 7 and verse 6, Psalm 35 and verse 23, and Psalm 44 and verse 23. Now obviously it doesn't mean that God was asleep, but it is, again, it's just a poetic term of God moving to action, just like, just like God's rising up in judgment. Sometimes we've encountered those prayers, you know, rise up, O God, and, and, and judge um, the wicked or, or what have you. Waking here is also associated with glory. You notice that in verse 8, and that is a, a repetition of the Hebrew kavod. So uh, the awaking of the king's glory. The word for early that is used here, it means morning light or dawn. And so the imagery is that of playing and singing um, to the sun for it to rise up. Almost, in other words, it's sort of a, a, the poetic imagery of almost as if the, the singing and playing is what causes the sun to rise up. Verse number nine, um, David speaks of praise, his intent, his commitment, his vow to praise. And the word for praise that is used in the, in the first instance there in verse nine is actually a word that means extended hands or to lift up hands in praise. And I know that always glitches our Baptist computers, but that is what the word means. Singing here that is mentioned is the playing of an instrument. So it's the same as the word that we saw in the previous verse. 
So the parallel um, here between peoples and nations or people and nations, the parallel could suggest a repetition where people and nations would be synonymous. Now, they are different terms. Um, people here refers to tribes, and it can refer to Israel. Um, verses, uh, Psalm 14, verses 4 and 7 is one place where that is true. The word for nations is also the word used in Psalm 2 and verse number 1 for Gentile nations, and that does seem to be the sense here. So in other words, both of these terms can be applied to Israel, um, though the, the latter one is much less likely um, to be applied to Israel. But they can also be applied to the Gentile nations. So um, it seems to be echoing of what we have seen like in Psalm 47 and verse number 3, those nations that will be conquered in the coming kingdom. So then it would read very well that he, he is going to sing, play and sing praise to God uh, among the tribes of Israel and among the Gentile nations. Verses 10 to 11 gives reasons to praise God and then ends with a repetition of the refrain. So in verse 10, he refers to God's covenant mercy and truth again here. Um, the same same terms, um, hesed and emet. Um, they are joined together in this verse as they were earlier in verse number three. Um, he says of them that that they are great. They're, in other words, they're multiplied to the heavens or, the, or, or to up to the clouds. And he repeats this universal reign of God, um, referring and, and then the uh, let thy glory be above all the earth, which would be the earthly reign of his anointed king. All right, so let's go to interpretation. Psalm 57 teaches the resolution of good and evil. And so good and evil in, and the existence of, of good and evil in this world is certainly a problem, sometimes referred to as a philosophical problem. But um, though we can certainly think about it in those terms, it's, it's a much more real-world, real-life problem. Um, Half of the psalm here in Psalm 57 speaks about danger and being in danger, though it is mingled with praise for God. And the other half of the psalm speaks of God's universal reign coming to the earth. So David in this psalm is facing real life, real world danger. Right? So David in Psalm 57 is not experiencing some sort of philosophical angst. Um, over contemplating the mysteries of the universe, David is distressed over what he is facing and the very real danger that he is in, the fact that he has been betrayed and is being hunted by his own kinsmen. So the problem of evil exists in the, in the world in a couple of ways. One way that it exists is in the form of natural disasters. So uh, a tree falls on a house and hurts or kills people. Um, you know, a typhoon comes or a hurricane or um, tornadoes and all, all these kind of all these kind of things. These are these are things that happen and things that um, you know man didn't cause. They they happen. Um, that's one way the problem of evil exists. Another way is that you have fallen men who are acting like wild beasts hunting trying to tear and to devour um, and to take the life of other men. So there is a very real problem of evil in the world. 
And the solution, of course, as we see in this psalm as well as in, in many other places, the solution is that, first of all, God is high above it all. He's above it all. So the evil opposition cannot reach Him. It cannot stop Him from fulfilling His purpose. And not only that, God will send from heaven to reconcile the world and to destroy all enemies, even death. So this is the very real solution um, to a very real problem that does exist, that, that David faced, um, that you and I face, um, that even Jesus Christ faced when He entered into this world in human flesh. Okay, so that brings us to the Messianic hope of Psalm 57. Um, obviously, Psalm 57 is very strong in, in covenantal associations, Messianic um, connections. So the Messianic hope is seen particularly in the overwhelming message of God's faithfulness to His promises and the assurance that He will complete them. He will, he will bring this to completion. So we have several references in this psalm to God's faithfulness or to His trustworthiness to keep His promises. So uh, verses 2, 3, 5, 10, and 11 all have, all have those sorts of assurances. So the anointed king in this psalm is a righteous sufferer in exile with enemies surrounding him and designing his death. And because of God's promises and his faithfulness to those promises to bring them to fulfillment, the cave of hiding is a refuge under the shadow of God's wings. So God in this psalm sends salvation from heaven and when you look at these terms, it, it is personified. God sends salvation from heaven. His mercy and truth are sent from heaven, or they are personified or incarnated. Covenant mercy and truth resting on David correspond to grace and truth in the New Testament filling Jesus Christ. So if we look at like, uh, John 1, for instance, Gospel of John, chapter number 1. Um, speaking of, of Jesus Christ in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So God's glory, we are told in Psalm 57, will be over, it will cover all of the earth, when glory is awakened and God's presence comes to the earth in the person of the Messiah in His glory to reign over the earth. Obviously, this was previewed in Jesus' first coming. We Sunday, in fact, we looked at the transfiguration of which John refers to, that we beheld His glory. And he said he was full of grace and truth. So the, the glory of Jesus Christ was a preview of His coming in glory, in His kingdom glory. God, John is referring to this transfiguration. But also, if you look at verse, 15, or verse 18, John said, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So Jesus Christ coming to the earth is the presence of God among us. Jesus said such things. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so that's what we have in Psalm 57, this desire for
for God's presence upon the earth, for His presence to be visible, for His glory to be awakened and to come to the earth and to cover it. And of course, that takes place only in the person of the Messiah, the Son of David, who will reign over this earth. All right, so application. I have two, two points of application on this song. Understanding Psalm 57, number one, understanding Psalm 57 helps us understand these prayers as real life, real world dangers and prayers. So we can relate and we can apply to the calamities these prayers that we face calamities in various forms. We may not literally be hiding in a cave from people hunting us and trying to kill us, or we may be. Um, we don't know. But nevertheless, we, we face these kind of real-world, real-life calamities, and we certainly can relate. So this shows us how that a dark cave of suffering can also be a shelter under the wings of God Most High. So it helps us to relate that way in our own prayers, in our own calamities. Number two, understanding Psalm 57 helps us understand that God is high above all, but that doesn't mean that God is distant. He's high above all, but He is also very much concerned and involved with the affairs of men on the earth. God is not too far away to hear us. God is not too high to help us. So this reassures us of God's faithfulness to His promises, to all those who put their trust in Him, and all those who take refuge in Him. All right, any questions on Psalm 57? Right. Well, the yeah, the myself there in italics. Um, so I, because I think the phrase can be taken, I will awake early in the sense that I'll get up before the dawn, like I'll wake up before the dawn. But it can also be taken as I will awaken the dawn. I will awaken early, which I do think is the meaning just from the the context. So I don't know why. Um, you know, myself is added there. Um, Awake my glory. David also referred to his glory in some of those psalms that I mentioned. Um, psalm 3 uh, and Psalm 7 in particular come to mind where David spoke about my glory and how the enemies around him were trying to bring his glory down into the dust. In, in other words, um, it's it's that association with the kingship. In other words, they're 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 trying to end David's kingship. They're they're trying to end this Davidic line, not let David come to the throne, as it were. So I, I don't think um, I do think in David saying, "Awake, my glory," that he is looking forward to not you know just his own reign, but he is looking forward to the reign of his son to come. Well, that doesn't end at all. 
morning. Awaken my, my glory. I don't think that it would be related to the resurrection morning because it's it's related to that second coming. It's it's related to that um, you know that kingdom coming of of Jesus in His glory. Right? Yeah, that's the way I would I would see it. <laughs>